You're listening to Almost Famous, a music industry podcast championing independence powered by The Famous Company. Whether you're an artist or music industry professional, ensure you don't miss a beat by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. People, we are back for another episode of the podcast, and this is it. It's free out of free for Pride in Music, and uh, have we saved the best till last? We can say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie, how are you? How do I pronounce your surname? Uh, Ahi. Ahi. Oh, some brilliant surnames coming through this month. I'm loving it. Look, Laura, Laura's was hard as well, but Ahi, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying that. How are you today? Yeah, I'm all good, thank you. How are you? Yes, I am. I am good. I've, I've got the window open um, as it is. Uh, it looks awful outside. It's weirdly warm inside. But if we hear the bin men, I'll close it. Absolutely. So, so but let's let's go straight into it. First of all, I, I want to know what your your pronouns are. Uh, yeah, of course. Thank you for asking. Uh, my pronouns are he, him. He, him. Brilliant. And uh, secondly, how did you get your start in music? Um. Before I answer that, what are your pronouns? Oh, no one's asked me that. <laughs> That's brilliant. This is the first. This is actually the very first time. Uh, well, it's important him. to share. He, him. Yeah, 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 yeah. He, he, him, and and to be honest with you, and because because my entire life, people have got my my first name wrong anyway, so it's Zaid. So anytime I feel like someone's talking to me, I just turn around. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting way to solve that problem. That's that's fine. <laughs> I uh, I used to work in a call center, and so if I answer the phone, "Hello, Zaid speaking," and someone goes, "You're right, Dave," I just go with it. <laughs> I so. used to have on uh, school regist- registration. No one could ever say my surname, so it was Jamie, uh, and I'd be like, "Yeah, I'm here." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone in class waiting for it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So anyway, I'll go back to answering your question. Um, But yeah, how did I get my start in music? Um, I guess I unintentionally was walking towards a career in music from kind of being in school. Um, I had friends that were in bands. Uh, Thankfully, they were good bands. Um, And so we kind of, I'd always just been really interested in getting involved in as much kind of extracurricular as possible. So we used to put on gigs in our school hall and hang out in the music rooms and you know my friend and I started a little DJ company and like all these things we did when we were kind of 14 15 16 um that kind of made me realize that the music industry existed um yeah which sounds weird but up until then I'd loved music but I'd never really thought about the infrastructure behind it so that was really exciting and then um And then I went to uni and I did music and radio production um, and really enjoyed that, kind of learned quite a lot more about the business side of the music industry. Um, And then I ended up getting a work experience, um, a two week work experience at uh, Metropolis Studios in Chiswick. And from there, I ended up doing... uh, like a three month internship and then ended up just basically refusing to leave. Um, so I ended up working there for about two years in the kind of uh, the more marketing side of things. So at the time I was there, there was an artist management arm. We were doing some live bookings. 
we had a couple of record labels we were running and we were doing the wider marketing for the kind of um, catalogue of Metropolis. So kind of got to get my hands dirty on loads of different things. And as an entry to the industry, that was really exciting for me. I got to kind of figure out what I did and didn't like doing. Um, and then from there, I went to ADA um, within Warner Music, where I got to work with uh, some incredible people and labels for a couple of years. I was a label manager there. Um, and then from ADA, obviously part of the same family, but I then moved to Atlantic Records um, about four and a half years ago, um, where, where I still am now as a senior marketing manager. So yeah, it's been a couple of kind of milestone jobs. And alongside that, I've always kind of done a bit of artist management or helped out wherever I can with with things and obviously done pride in music. So just tried to kind of keep keep learning and keep experiencing new parts of the industry as much as possible, really. Yeah, you seem to have uh, you seem to have knowledge of, of of pretty much everything that goes on, which is fantastic. Um which would lead me to my next question then is is marketing something that you're you're very much involved in now so um what's crucial for a successful artist campaign and and would I refer to it as an artist campaign yeah I mean I think I think artist campaign definitely makes sense um I would say the the number one thing that's crucial for an artist campaign not to sound too obvious is an artist that's willing to put in the work and that understands what being an artist means. Um, I think that you, I, I think that obviously the music itself has to be first and foremost. Like you have to develop your craft as a songwriter or a musician or both or producer, and you have to put the hours in and the music has to speak for itself. But to be an artist is a job. Um, yeah. And it comes like any job with a lot of boring things. Um, and I think that for me, the artists that are always most excited, that I'm most excited to work with are the ones that have a vision for themselves, but are willing to collaborate. They understand a bit more of the business side, not to the depth that we do, because that's why we're there, but to the point of like, they understand the importance of what the team are asking them to do. Um, and also for me, it's really exciting to work with artists that lean into their fan base properly as well, that understand that the best way to build an audience is themselves. Mm. Um, you know, no one can be them better than them. Um, so and fans are super smart. So they don't just want a marketeer telling them telling them everything going on so yeah I think artists first and foremost and then after that a successful artist campaign I think it's about longevity it's about being really clear on what your kind of expectation is and what your markers of success are for that artist specifically it can be really easy to get wrapped up in somebody else's success and presume that their milestone moments should be your milestone moments and actually every career is unique so um, I think, yeah, being very clear on expectation and milestones and just like the workflow, like how are we going to get there? Like what are the areas that we are going to focus on to get there? And also the ability, the best teams I've worked with are the ones that are able to self-critique as well. The ones that are able to go, do you know what? 
that song didn't work very well, but actually we probably know why it didn't. And if we're honest with ourselves, we knew that when we went into it, we just didn't want to talk about it at the time. So like, I think that ability to self-reflect and not just if something didn't go quite right or you didn't quite reach your goal, not just brush it under the carpet and pretend it didn't happen, but actually learn from it as much as possible. Like that's the way that you build long-standing successful artist campaigns. Can you give me an example of an artist uh, with the, 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 the first thing that you said was uh, an artist who, who has a vision. Um, can you give me maybe an example of someone that people can look back to and kind of follow in, in their footsteps? Hmm. Interesting question. I mean, it's difficult because, you know, obviously an artist, as a marketeer, we are, we are tasked with kind of two things that don't necessarily always sit that nicely side by side. So like, obviously working at a record label, your job is to sell music, Mm -hmm. but it can't ever be to sell the artist because the artist is not a product. They're a human. So it's, it's, it's really important for me that like, we don't do anything that's not authentic to that person. So when you see artists that have come through over the last few years that have grown to become, you know, really successful artists, a young blood, Billie Eilish, a Rosalia, or or you know, Ollie Alexander, or any of these types of people, I don't think they can be replicated because what they're doing is so unique to them. And I think that's why people love them. Yeah, that, that, yeah, definitely. You, <laughs> of course, of course, you mentioned uh, some some very, very uh, famous, very successful artists. Um, all of them over the last eighteen months have have kind of came up against the same mountain. So have we, COVID nineteen. Yeah. Um, we're coming out at the end of that now. There is uh, speculation on the music industry. Is COVID still disrupting this process for you in marketing? Um. Yes and no. I mean, I guess as far as the music industry goes, I guess record labels in a way were able to continue to function. Like we obviously had to quite quickly come together and figure out ways to do certain things, but so much of our world now is digital. So we were able to continue to put out music and create moments and projects and everything else. So for us, um, there's always still challenges, you know, there's still challenges when you're trying to shoot a music video in a pandemic with government rules in place, that's always going to be challenging. Um, But I think that it's probably other areas of the business that have been hit hard. Obviously the live sector has been hit so hard over the last year and a half. And so this, and, and this like uncertainty of, can we, can't we, on the gig side of things is versus the sports side of things, uh, is really um, <laughs> is really difficult, I think, at the moment. Like, so many venues were relying on June 21st, and, and that's not happening now, so or that didn't happen. So, um, yeah, I think a very clear, concise plan for the live sector is essential to get uh, the music business back to full health and and not just specifically the COVID impact, but obviously the impact of Brexit is also 
having a detrimental effect on the cost that's going to come for musicians to tour in Europe or for other musicians to come into the UK. So yeah. I think it's kind of, unfortunately for us here, we're on, we've had that double whammy of Brexit into COVID has just caused so many issues for so many people. So, but I hope that we can kind of come together as a, as a wider industry and help, help each other move through this next phase um, mm. and get back to full health. Yeah, talking about next phase then, uh, future trends is something that a lot of up-and-coming artists um, are very, very kind of fixated on. Um, I imagine you all are. Um, give me, I know it's really hard to answer questions like this, but just give me your personal opinion. What, what, what do you think is coming next? We had we had um, a first trap number one in the UK uh, a couple of months ago. We have artists coming through like Youngblood and, and Billy Eilish who are quite unique um, and TikTok plays a massive part now in, mm-hmm. in I imagine a, a, a label meeting um, it wouldn't have really come up a few years ago but I imagine every other meeting someone says the word TikTok mm-hmm. um, so give me your uh, give me your opinion what do you think what do you think about future trends in marketing um, I think that we're moving into a world where artist campaigns Artists are not hiding like any part of themselves anymore, which is really exciting. And I think we'll continue to see more and more artists like really living their truth on that global stage, which is essential. Um, I think that, yeah, TikTok's an interesting one. I think it's a brilliant platform. Like I take a lot of joy from sitting and watching hours of animal videos. Um, But I think it's going to be really interesting to see how that continues to like better the one before in terms of the artists that are coming through the platform. Um, I also think we'll probably in years to come start seeing, well, we're already starting to see it now, but artists I think are becoming a lot more environmentally conscious and trying to kind of make their tours more eco, make their merch more eco, make their products more eco. I think that that's a trend that like, especially the younger music fan really cares about what their artist stands for. And, you know, that these acts are putting, putting their time and money into what they're saying and and trying to be more green or trying to support the communities that they're benefiting from. So I think that will become more and more kind of um, prevalent in the live space. And I guess just, you know, there's, there's, obviously markets that are like the biggest music markets globally, but it does feel like such a shift from local to global over the last few years. And I think that will continue like that awareness that you could be an artist from, you know, the middle of England and you could get your big break in Germany or in Australia or in China or in like, that's really exciting that there feels like less, barriers to the route you have to take to success now like you could you could go on a thousand different routes and everyone will lead to a slightly different outcome but none being better or worse than the other necessarily and and I think that's quite interesting that artists can like get themselves out there and obviously there's a huge volume of other artists they need to now cut through to get to their own um, to get their own music heard because it's very loud out there but um, 
yeah, I think art, brand new artists coming to the table thinking about the global picture and not just thinking about their home market is actually really important. Um, and interestingly, the flip of that is even though the wider industry feels more global, local matters still a lot. You know, you see success stories time and time again where their local communities have helped get them there. So it's like that balance of, yeah, don't forget where you come from, put the groundwork into where you're from and your local area, but also don't limit yourself to having to break in your market first because you yeah. could break anywhere and then come back to your market. Yeah, de- de- definitely. I think I think now more than than any time is is great for um unique genres maybe is is, is yeah. what we can kind of pinpoint that down to uh and yeah yeah i see i see very much trends worldwide kicking off uh, and a lot of uk artists jumping onto them which is which is very exciting let's talk about something else that's exciting the, the month of june is a very busy one for you yeah uh, <laughs> and I really appreciate you sitting down with me today and talking about it. but let's talk let's talk pride in music um two-part question for you what is pride in music and how did you get involved um so pride in music is a group of people from the music business side um in the UK who are working together we're kind of just trying to create a community and a platform for sharing opportunities and knowledge and experience and support for other queer identified people in the music business um we got started so myself and and um two of my pride of music co-directors um guy and david came together a couple of years ago and We'd all been connected through, I think we were individually doing kind of more queer focused diversity work within the companies we work for. And um, people had just said, oh, you should meet. And kind of 20 minute coffees turned into like two hour sessions of just like realizing that there's this whole community of queer people working in the music industry, predominantly on the business side, who don't have a community space to come together in and that don't necessarily know how to find each other you know we were literally I was literally saying to them at the time like outside of my own organization I don't want to just you know send out a blanket music industry email is anybody quitting <laughs> but like it would be it would be nice to, to have a space where we come together and, and just network to be honest so that's where it started from you know just a really simple idea of creating a space for us um and it kind of started to grow from there we're yeah we're about two years old and um unfortunately like everybody else we had just started finding our feet and then the kind of pandemic came so all our kind of events that we do have been put on pause and obviously you know, we're a group run by a team of people that we do this alongside our jobs. So obviously when you suddenly are launched into a global pandemic, it kind of uh, takes takes people time to reset and figure out what their balance is. So we definitely, um, it's been an interesting 18 months um, because of COVID, but as it stands this morning, like I'm feeling very um, optimistic about, where we can go next and how we can get there and 
um, yeah, what we can hopefully achieve in the next five years. Mm. What are the uh, what are the go next plans then? What what can we get excited about? Yeah, so I think there's a few things. Um, I guess a few that we've been talking about recently. Really want to. It, you know, we are a group of people from the business side and we are focused on networking for the business side, but we also have a lot of focus on um, helping up and coming queer musicians. Um, and so one of the things that we want to kind of develop is last year we started a bit of a like ones to watch list, um, but it very much started as that, as a kind of, we run our playlist on Spotify. It started as a like, these are musicians we're excited about this year. Whereas we want to start looking at how we can evolve our ones to watch kind of offering and really challenge ourselves to think about, you know, obviously playlisting is great, but what does an artist actually need? Um, and is, do we have resource or expertise to help deliver that? Um, how can we better showcase them? Is there, is there like, a yearly, a monthly thing, but then also things we can be doing behind the scenes. And um, a lot of the work we did, especially in our first year, was collaborating with festivals and pride events to give opportunities for live. And I think, obviously, we haven't done that in the last year, but hopefully they will all be coming back soon. Um, and to be able to just further push our ones to watch groups through those opportunities would be great. And and just uh, to be honest, with ones to watch specifically, just evolve where we're finding new talent as well. Like you can end up in a bit of an un unintentional echo chamber of um, getting suggestions from the same people or it feeling a bit London centric or it feeling a bit music industry centric. And so just figuring out new ways to really tap into our community to hear more about really early doors artists would be exciting to um and I guess on that, one of the other things that we were talking about that we'd like to make sure we're focused on is um, that kind of ex-London, ex-industry ex -industry bubble and making sure that we're able to, you know, long-term, I'd love to be in a place where we've got people in different parts of not just across the UK, but globally, that, that all kind of work around the same ethos and, and the same kind of goals that we have um, that are able to be more local to their communities and so that we're able to feel more regionalised and, and like we're tapping into communities outside of like the big pride festivals. So there are definitely things we'd like to get into. Obviously, when we're able to go back to doing... Um, events like getting into fundraising again for for charitable partners we want to make sure we're doing a lot of um and and yeah just it's it, the thing that's exciting about it is there's not really a cap on the, the breadth of what we want to achieve it's it's always just like one step at a time making sure that we're coming to the table with ideas that are fully formed and are necessary for the industry like helping more people get into work experience places or um, eventually providing a mentorship scheme. Like these are all things that when we first set out, we kind of identified like these would be great things to work towards. And, 
and we've kind of been able to do them on an ad hoc basis but the more people from our community that that lean in and help out and bring their expertise to the table like the more formalized we're going to be able to kind of make these opportunities which which really excites me to say yeah it excites me i'm i'm here for every single step of the way and i uh, i i honestly i i can't wait to see what else can what else can be achieved uh by you all for the community um something that i was really excited about as well when i was doing my research on you was the work that you did in schools and yeah. i Honestly, I can't thank you enough for educating young people because uh, I did not have that when I was younger. Um, I would have loved to know more about the LGBTQ plus community. Nothing was there. So can you tell us a little bit more uh, about about Stonewall and and the work that you do in schools? Yeah, of course. So um, I signed up to, again, pre-pandemic a few years, a few years ago now, uh, signed up to be a Stonewall school role model. Um, So it effectively um, was a one day kind of training um, course. And what we do is we go into schools that opt in to give talks about LGBTQ plus communities, issues, answer questions. Um, I believe at the moment that the program runs across secondary and sixth form um, and kind of with the ethos, what, what I was kind of told when I did my training, which really stuck with me is like, you might be the first person that that young person actively knows is queer. Like, wow you might be their first representation of someone owning their identity in real life, not on the TV, not, you know, just a random stranger passing by. Um, You might be the first person that kind of stands and really genuinely and positively claims your identity in front of these people uh, and these young people. So I think for me, similar to what you just said, I didn't have that in school. I didn't see any positive role models. My school did not prioritise queer communities at all. And so um, I think that was what kind of helped me push me to get involved because like standing in front of a room full of teenagers is actually quite scary. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I've done it myself. (laughs) Believe me. And uh, you, you just don't know. You just don't really know where where their their heads at and I sometimes crack a few dad jokes yeah. just to like break the ice but yeah how did you how did you kind of oh I don't want to say get around it but how did you kind of get them out their shell were you able to do that yeah I think you know I think it's quite interesting each of the schools I've been to so far have a different style of doing it like some of them it's like turn up do a talk Q&A at the end most kids won't ask anything, but that's not the point of the Q&A. Very few people, most adults won't ask anything. So like, that's fine. But um, some of the schools, they um, will get me to give a talk and then they'll break the students into working groups. And then you kind of get a bit more one-on-one time with them, which was nice. One of the schools I went to Um, asked me to go in a bit earlier and I sat in on their student-run LGBTQ group and then I gave a talk so that was really nice I got to kind of meet a few of them beforehand Um, 
And yeah, I mean, to be honest, I think it's always nerve wracking, but I just try and like remind myself that, yeah, I would have loved to have talked to someone when I was that age. And, um, and I, and I think conversation is just really important. Like the reality is statistically speaking, most of the young people that I will have spoken to or any role model will have spoken to will be cisgendered heterosexual people for their lifetime. But that doesn't mean that those talks don't help them become good active allies, or that doesn't mean that that talk isn't the light bulb moment that makes them realize that that kid that they've been teasing because of whatever actually might be queer. And maybe it's not that cool to like pick on kids just because they're a bit different. So for me, I tend to just try and go in, like explain a bit of my life story, try and be a bit vulnerable with them um, and see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, you gotta, you gotta keep me updated then. Uh, I wanna know, I wanna know what, how, uh, how things turn out once of course schools are able to have people that, that they're representing and, uh, and yeah, and see if there is a, a, a bit more of a difference maybe um, since, you you were last in there um because i i am so glad when this month comes around um because it feels like everyone is a part of this uh and this actually leads me very nicely into my next question i you can answer this in in any way you want really uh you can be jamie the 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 major label rep or you could be uh jamie just the 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 person who has a, a lot of great ideas about moving forward with a community. What do you think the music industry has to do to become better at looking after the LGBTQ plus community? It's a big question, that. It uh, is, it is. Hey, take, take your time, take your time, honestly. Um, I think that it's probably a multifaceted approach. Like I, I would say that there's no like one umbrella answer to this question. Um, I think that from an A&R perspective, it would be great to hear about A&Rs going to Pride festivals or queer nights to find new talent. Um, it would be great if from a live agent perspective and a festival perspective, you don't presume that most queer artists only can play queer slots. Um, you know, a, an art, a queer musician doesn't only have to come up through the pride route to be a queer musician. Like they should come through the route that every other musician comes through. Yeah. So I think from the live side, it's like challenging festival bookers and live agents and promoters, like think about who you're booking. And this isn't just about the queer community. This is across gender and race and, and every intersectionality disability, like think about who you are booking. Um, I would encourage people to be a little more outspoken when it comes to people they won't book um, if they are not great people. And I know that's maybe a bit contentious because I'm, I'm not talking about cancel culture, but what I am saying is I think when big companies, recognizable brands take a stance um, and actively lean into a difficult conversation and actively side with the minority community in question 
um, it sends a very clear message, and I think that's really important. So um, I would ask that people are more considerate about who they book sometimes. Um, I think that from a label perspective, you know, just always encouraging artists to be authentically themselves. Like if that artist is queer, don't automatically presume as a marketeer that they want to be marketed as a queer queer artist, but equally um, don't, don't suppress it if that's what they want. You know, um, I think labels, from a label perspective, it's important you sign artists because you've listened to what they want and who they want to be, not because you've read something about them and gone, yes, I can make something of that. Um, and I guess for musicians, just like continue to share and support and like live your authentic truth, because the more musicians that not even just come out, but the more musicians that are active allies, the more musicians talking about um, queer culture, the more musicians that are representative in their dancers on tour or the people in their music videos, the better. So I think there's so many different areas that we can continue to lean in to continue to benefit the queer community and and just remember that the queer community is fully intersectional as well like you being queer might be part of someone's identity but that doesn't mean they don't have any other identities and sometimes i think um when we're talking about improving diversity or inclusion for minority groups we can talk about them individually and i think it's really important that especially big companies that are trying to lean more into this work and this space that they remember that you can literally be transgender and black and gay. Like you can be all of those things and disabled all at the same time. And so if you're making people feel like they have to choose the box that they're in, you're not being fully inclusive. Um, and so, yeah, just a, I guess that's another key one for me, just like try and be as intersectional in the work that we do as an industry as possible. I love that. Last question for you then. Uh, and again, you can take your time with this one if you need to. What does pride mean to you? Um, what does pride mean to me? I think pride means visibility and protest and celebration. Um, I think it means community and, 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 and a great opportunity for education, um, as well. And I think that, yeah, you know, pride is a very interesting time and, um, you know, every year you see a new global corporation pride flagging something and, um, making a load of money off of it and probably not donating it back to the community. But um, yeah, for me, like, yeah, pride is a moment for education. It's a, it's a moment for the community to come together and just like hold each other in that space and be like, well done. And you're loved and you're not alone. But for allies or the people that are even just looking in or, literally walking past at some point it's a moment and an opportunity for education 
but to educate yourself, not to continuously lean on uh, oppressed groups of people to always do the education for you. Like there is no more resources available in Pride Month than any other time. Like if you want to learn something about the LGBTQ plus community, this is the month that it's most accessible. So please like just go and learn it um, and then come to Pride and celebrate with us as well. So yeah, it's um, my, my, my view of Pride has changed as well as I've got older and like the world has just opened up and we've learned a lot more like when I was 18, it was just a good chance to like get drunk with my friends. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, <laughs> but it means a lot, a lot more to me now. So <laughs> a massive thank you to Jamie. If you want to know more about Pride in Music, then head over to prideinmusic.org. There you can join their mailing list, but also become a member and help them continue their incredible work for the LGBTQ plus community and allies working within British music. And for more interviews, AMAs, tips and tricks and exclusive content, follow us on Instagram and TikTok at The Famous Co. That's at The Famous Co. My name is Zaid. Tap that subscribe or follow button and we'll see you all next time. You've been listening to Almost Famous, a music industry podcast powered by The Famous Company. If you're an independent artist or music industry professional, for more information, head to www.thefamouscompany.com.